This morning as we look to the Word of God, we're going to be looking at the idea of drawing from the gifts. Last week we started some things on the anointing, understanding that it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. It is the anointing that breaks the yoke. Thank God for the anointing. But we need to understand about that anointing. If it is the anointing that's going to break the yoke for us, we need to understand some things about it. We began to look at some things last last week. How many of you have ever seen some of those humorous things they put on the tombstones? Well, these apparently were some real ones from some very old tombstones as they laid these out. Read these off here to you. Here lies Anne Mann, who lived an old maid, but died an old man. Beneath this side, a lump of clay lays Arabella Young, who on her 21st of May began to hold her tongue. The children of Israel wanted bread from the Lord. I'm sorry, the children of Israel wanted bread. The Lord sent manna. Old Clark Wallace wanted a wife. The devil sent him Anna. Here lies Johnny, Johnny East. Forgive me for not rising. Here lies Butch. We planted him raw. He was quick on the trigger, but slow on the draw. Under the sod and under the trees lies the body of Jonathan Pease. He's not there. There's only the pod. Pease shelled out and went to God. A little more creative. When Jesus died, they didn't have time to write anything on his tombstone. But he told us some things to do that his death would bring about. That we would be called ministers. That we would be called those who would go in his name. And if he was going to have something on his tombstone, I sure hope it'd be something along the lines that all those who follow after him would do the things that he did. We're here to call, we're called here to be ministers to him. And last week we looked at the twelve that were sent out. We then looked at the seventy that were sent out. We then looked at those who were sent out in the book of Acts. And they kept multiplying and multiplying that people were going out and ministering in the general anointing that God had called them to. Laying hands on the sick, casting out devils, and they were all surprised at how this was working. Isaiah chapter 10, verse 27 told us that it is the anointing that breaks the yoke. And if the anointing is going to break whatever yoke you're under, we need to understand more about the anointing. If you have a sickness or disease, something that's gotten a hold of you, these colds and things like that don't quite yoke themselves to you. They're gone after a while. But there are some sickness and diseases that like to become attached and become a yoke to you. And they're a burden, aren't they? Jesus said that His yoke is easy. We understand that He's talking about His teaching. His teaching that He was teaching them how how to walk, how to live. Thank God that His yoke is easy. But you've got to get rid of some of these things that are hanging on, that are holding on to you. Sicknesses, diseases, ailments, pains. If we're going to get rid of these things, we need to understand what the anointing is. And we spent a lot of time looking at the general anointing. A lot of times looking at the using the name of Jesus, making your stand. But we need to find out some things about this specific area, the anointing. Last week we looked at the the gifts, the gifts of healings, the things that are, are put in there, the big guns as it is, and how we're to understand those, that they are at work now. They are at work here. That many of us operate in gifts that we're not operating in yet. We talked about that last week, that you won't find out what your gift of healing is should one be put upon you unless you're out there 
working in the general anointing, laying hands on the sick. If you're not doing that, you won't find out that there's specific gifts on you. So don't just sit there and say, well, I'll wait till that thing hits me. No, get out there. You've been given a general call and know that there's a general anointing on you. Have confidence in that. And go out and operate in that. Work in that confidence. Well, over in Luke chapter 4, we're going to begin over there. Luke, the fourth chapter, verse 14. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and news of Him went throughout all the surrounding region and He taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. So He came to Nazareth where He had been brought up and as His custom was, He went into the synagogue on the Sabbath day and stood up to read. He was handed the book of the prophet Isaiah and when He had opened the book, He found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is upon Me because He has anointed Me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent Me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty, to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord. Then he closed the book and gave it back to the attendant and sat down, and the eyes of all were f- in the synagogue were fixed on him. And he began to say to them, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. So all bore witness to him and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. And they said, Is this not Joseph's son? He said to them, You will surely say this proverb, May physician heal yourself. Whatever we have heard done in Capernaum, do you also hear in your country. Then he said, Surely I say to you, No prophet is accepted in his own country. But I tell you truly, many widows were in Israel in the days of Elijah, when the heavens were shut up three years and six months, and there was a great famine throughout the land. But to none of them was Elijah sent except to Zarephath in the region of Sidon. To a woman who was a widow, and many lepers were in Israel in the time of Elisha, the prophet, and none of them was cleansed except Naaman, the Syrian. So all those in the synagogue, when they heard these things, were filled with wrath, and rose up and thrust him out of the city. And they led him to the brow of the hill which their city was built. They might throw him down the cliff. Then passing through the midst of them, he went his way. We looked at this scripture before, but wanted to come back and look at it again. Because in this first section here, as we're looking at drawing from the gifts, there is a time that the gifts of God, the power of God, things show up and you have to react to something. And this is what we see with these folks. Jesus comes in and He sits down and He says some things, He teaches some things. And at one point they say, Oh, isn't this nice? So all bore witness to Him in verse 22, and marveled at the gracious words which proceeded out of his mouth. Well, if they're gracious words, they must have liked them. So at one point they say, oh, this is so good, this is so good. Then Jesus teaches on some other things and now they're all ready to kill him. So they didn't take those words quite as well. They reacted. They had an instant, a very quick reaction when they heard those things spoken. They had a reaction that went on. How many times have you been in a church service, been in a special meeting, heard a particular guest speaker or went out to hear a speaker somewhere and they said something, did something, and you reacted to it? Sometimes you reacted good. Sometimes you reacted badly. How many have been in that, that situation? Well, we all have been, we've all been in spots like that where things have gone on. Maybe the Holy Spirit's moving in a certain way and people did things and you weren't quite sure about what they did. How many remember the first time you were in church and and you heard people speaking in tongues? You had a reaction to that, didn't you? Some of you, it was a good reaction. (laughs) 
<laughs> Some of you, it wasn't such a good reaction. You were put off a little bit. What's this? What's this noise? I told you this story before, but for those who haven't been here before, my uh, grandmother's reaction I thought was one of the best when she was in church and they're all singing and praising God in the spirit and tongues. And she leaned over to my mom and she, says, she said, I don't know this song. <laughs> I, that's a reaction. <laughs> well, she didn't know that song. Never did learn it. But she can. But there's a reaction that you have in the, when, you, when you hear things. When you see someone first time get slain in the Spirit. Isn't there a reaction that you have to that? Especially if you never saw that. You've been in church, everybody always stood up. They either stood up or sat down. They didn't fall. They weren't lying on the ground. That's unusual. And you weren't quite sure what to do about that. Now some people saw that and they reacted not in a negative way, but in another way. And they mimicked what other people did. And they weren't falling down because the Holy Spirit had them fall down. They just fell down because everybody else did. That's a reaction. You, there's all kinds of reactions that we can have. How many of you have met somebody on the street for the first time? Don't you have a reaction to that person? Sometimes they say something puts you off. And you have a reaction you walk away and say, I'm not going near that one again. Or you could have a reaction that says, Oh, I really enjoyed that conversation. That was real fun. So you can, there's, there's reactions that you have to the anointing of God. Most times we have a negative reaction is because we don't recognize it as the anointing. We don't recognize it as something godly. We don't recognize it as something good. First time you get into church service and they're all running around acting crazy, you have a reaction that says, what in the world are they doing? I thought I came to church. What's this, what's this that's happening in here? Well, get used to it because heaven's going to be a lot wilder. It'll be something if you can get excited and hoot and holler and run around in a sports game. They're going to be down there cheering on the Eagles today and other stadiums cheering on other people. And if they can run around and hoot and holler and throw towels in the air and everything for a football game, and I like football, but for a football game, dear Lord, can we do it for the things of life? Amen. That's not odd. That's not strange, but they'll see it as such. It's your reaction. Their reaction here shut down these things that, that God would have done. Because He said, the Spirit of God is here. He's upon me to heal the sick. Well, no sick got healed because they responded, they reacted in a bad way. In Luke chapter 8, a few pages over, verse 41, And behold, there came a man named Jairus. He was a ruler of the synagogue. And he fell down at Jesus' feet and begged Him to come to His house. Well, what's he doing? He's reacting to something, isn't he? Didn't he hear some news? Didn't he hear a teaching? Didn't he hear a report? Something went on. The Jairus heard something about Jesus. And when his daughter became ill, he had a reaction that said, I'll bet Jesus could take care of this. So he came on down, saw Jesus, gets down on his knees. So there's a reaction there. Jump on down though, because we're going to have be interrupted by the woman with the issue of blood. So jump on down to chapter 8 and verse 49. While he was still speaking, someone came from the ruler of the synagogue's house saying to him, your son is, your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Your daughter is dead. Do not trouble the teacher. Jesus heard it, answered him saying, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. So Jesus is concerned about what? The reaction. 
Jesus is concerned about how they're going to react, what their instant response is. So he very quickly says, do not be afraid because he saw the potential here that their reaction would be fear. That their reaction would be, oh no. And Jesus is concerned about that. It's important how you react. Be careful how you react. And so Jesus immediately steps over there and says, hold up. Don't be afraid. Don't let that creep in. Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Only believe and she will be made well. Only believe and she will be made well. He's trying to hold off that reaction. Going down to the next verse. And when he came to the house, he permitted no one to go in except Peter, James, and John, the father and mother of the girl. Now all wept and mourned for her, but he said, Do not weep. She is not dead, but sleeping. Now look at their reaction. And they ridiculed. And they ridiculed. That's their reaction, isn't it? They had Jesus come in and Jesus made a statement that she'd be alright. She's just asleep. And they ridiculed. They went right from weeping to ridicule. That's a reaction. There's a lot of people have negative reactions to when someone makes a faith statement. There's no necessary, no, no anointing that they're feeling here that they're reacting to. There's no special service that's going on that they're reacting to people dancing or jumping around or anything like that. There's just a statement. It's a statement of faith. How many times have you wanted to or maybe have made a statement of faith to your doctor? To your co-workers? To an unsaved family member? What kind of a thing do you get from them? Ridicule? What are they doing? They're reacting? And then that puts something back on you. How many of you felt a, a reaction that comes on back? A reaction of anger? A reaction of fear? We can have all kinds of reactions. But the reactions are important. We've got to make sure that we have faith-based reactions. Now, Jesus always has faith-based reactions. He just constantly walks into faith. People ridicule Him. He doesn't get fearful. He doesn't walk in the wrong way. Look at what He does. Do not weep. She is not dead but sleeping. They ridiculed Him knowing that she was dead. Well, we know that she's dead, so that gives us the right to ridicule Jesus because He's not apparently realizing that. But He put them all outside. That's His reaction. His reaction is, y'all get out. Put them all outside. And took her by the hand and called saying, little girl, arise. Then her spirit returned and she arose immediately and he commanded she be given something to eat. And her parents were astonished, but he charged them to tell no one what had happened. Now, do you remember that Jesus commanded his parents to do what? Do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. So what they had to do was not be afraid. Only believe. They need to operate not only belief side. Now look at this verse. And her parents were astonished. How much believing were they doing? But apparently it was enough, wasn't it? I mean, she got well. Jesus said, do not be afraid. Only believe and she will be made well. Have you ever run into people, maybe even yourself, that you were astonished at something God did and the devil wants to come in and tell you, well, I guess you weren't much believing. Thank God that you can be believing God and still be, get, be astonished at times. That's all right. 
Don't think that as a, as a sign of unbelief or un, a lack of faith. You can be astonished. Sometimes we get this idea that, well, if I was believing that I had it all the time, I shouldn't even get react, react to it or get happy because I should just believe that I had it all the time. And so you finally see that thing is healed. You finally see that thing comes in. And you think, well, I just just be calm. Ah, you don't have to. That's not a sign of unbelief. These folks were astonished. He charged them to tell no one. Well, it's going to be kind of tough for them to do that when they come out of the room and the daughter's alive and they had all those people who knew she was dead. But that's what Jesus said. In John chapter 5, we're not going to go there and read that, but over at the pool of Bethesda, we have the man who was lame, lame by the pool. Jesus comes up and talks to him and says, do you want to get well? He says, yeah, of course I do, but I have no one to put me into the pool. When the angel comes down, stirs up the waters, no one is around to put me into the pool. And so Jesus told him, well, take up your bed and walk. And the man took up his bed and he walked. But it was a Sabbath day. That's not a day you're supposed to be taking up your bed and walking, according to the Pharisees. So he took up his bed and walked. And the Pharisees saw him carrying his bed around. He says, what are you doing carrying your bed? You'd think they'd be excited that the guy got healed. But they weren't. They were upset that their laws were being broken. And so he says, I, I, I don't know. The guy over there, he uh, told me to take up my bed and walk. I took up my bed and I walked. Well, who told you to do that? I mean, they're still not excited about this guy being healed. Who told you to do that? I don't know who he was. And so then Jesus comes up to him. And Jesus identifies himself. And as soon as he sees who he was, and Jesus just basically says, you know, let's glory to God. You know, go out there and keep yourself right. So he goes on back to the Pharisees. He says, it's him. I don't know if I would have done that. But anyway, that's what this guy did. He comes on back and points the finger. It was him. So the Pharisees got mad from that point on. Because here's Jesus telling people to take up their bed walking on the Sabbath day. I mean, he got a guy healed who was sick for, I think the Word of God said 35 years, something like that. But, you know, do that on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Sunday, not Saturday. Not the Sabbath day. Don't do it then. They had a reaction. They saw the power of God show up. And the Pharisees had a reaction. It was a negative one. And it's one that from that point on, they had a hard time with Jesus. They had a hard time with the whole thing. The man with the bed, he had a reaction. Jesus comes down and says, take up your bed and walk. And the man reacted to it, didn't he? He took up his bed and he walked. That's a reaction. We've got to make sure that we have right reactions. One man responds rightly, others respond wrongly. In Matthew chapter 10, verse 46, Now they came to Jericho as he went out of, the, of Jericho with his disciples. And a great multitude, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Then many warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, he rose and came to Jesus. So Jesus answered and said to him, What do you want me to do for you? The blind man said to him, Rabbi, Rabbi, that I may receive my sight. Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately... He received his sight, followed Jesus on the road. Now here's a man. He's over there begging, 
just holding out his cup, his hat, whatever it is that he's got, begging. And this crowd comes out from Jericho. And he hears that it's Jesus of Nazareth in the midst of the crowd. He has a reaction to it. He knows about Jesus, apparently. He's heard things that Jesus has done. Maybe he's heard some of Jesus' teaching. Maybe he sat in a meeting. The guy's not deaf. Maybe he sat in a meeting with Jesus and heard some of the things and he'd been meditating on them, mulling over them. But whatever it was, it got, he got to a place where he was ready to respond in faith. And when he heard that Jesus of Nazareth was there, Verse 47, And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, Son of David, have mercy on me. That's a reaction, isn't it? It's a reaction that Jesus is present. That's a good reaction. He wants something from Jesus. Then many warned him to be quiet. Many people are saying, Hush, quiet down, simmer down, take it easy. He has another reaction. But he cried out all the more. Isn't that a reaction? Son of David, have mercy on me. So Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. Then they called to the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer. Now they changed their tune. Rise, he is calling you. And throwing aside his garment, we don't want to skip over that. We've taught on this before, but just so you all understand it, a blind person has a blind man's garment. This identifies them as a blind person. So when you come on by, you can know they're blind. They didn't wear, what is it, Stevie Wonder type sunglasses back then? So that you could tell they were blind. But they had a blanket like this, a cloth, a garment, and they would wear this, and this told everybody they were a blind man. And so when he threw aside his garment, he threw aside his blind man's garment. That's a reaction. Because if you're blind, how are you going to get it back? And don't say he's got enough money to go out there and buy another one. He's begging. He's not expecting to need it. That's a good reaction. I like that reaction. Throw it aside. It was important enough for Luke, the author, to make note of this. One of those things just kind of stuck with Luke. He's watching this thing and the man threw aside his blind man's garment. I mean, why did he just carry it with him? Get rid of it afterwards. It was important that he did this. This is a reaction. He's being called. Jesus is calling me. I'm going to have Jesus' attention. I'm not going to need this anymore. And he throws it aside. That's a reaction. Well, as we get into this, we can react to the things that we see. We can respond. We can react to the anointing. We can respond. We can react to a particular gift in a particular person, minister, whatever it might be. We've got to respond. We've got to react to these things. But keep our reactions positive. How many of you have ever heard a minister of the gospel, man or woman, who rubbed you the wrong way? But they had a gift in them. You've heard about gifts going on. You've heard about things that they've done. But then you have a a, a negative response. How many have ever been to a Benny Hinn meeting? I've been to uh, one or two Benny Hinn meetings. Enjoyed them. Benny Hinn's a different type of a guy. Runs his meetings a little bit differently. That's all right. Enjoy them. Take him for what he is. He's not there. I, I heard him teach one time. And it was good. I enjoyed what he taught. Taught some things on the anointing. It was good. But he just he reruns that meaning a little bit differently. But there's an anointing there. There's a gift that's there. Draw off of that. I don't care if you don't like him at all. If God saw fit to put an anointing on him, draw off of it. Just understand this. God does not put anointings on people because they're perfect. God doesn't put anointings on people because... He likes everything about him. How many of you have ever heard the statement, 
God loves you just the way you are. Get that statement out of your vocabulary. Don't say it again. God does not love you the way you are. (laughs) God loves you despite how you are. He loves you no matter how you are. As you were a sinner, you came to God. God loved you as a sinner. Does that mean He loved your sin? So He didn't love you the way you were, did He? God loved blind people like blind Bartimaeus. Did then God love him? Did He love his blindness? If He did, why did He get rid of it? But lepers, people with leprosy, did He love them? Did He love their leprosy? Why did He drive it out? They have a demon-possessed people. Did He love them? Did He love the demon in them? Of course not. That's why He drove it out. God loves you, period. People attack on that part just the way I am so they don't feel like they have to change. You have a responsibility to change and adapt yourself to the nature of God. That's your responsibility. That's your job while you're, to do while you're down here. That's sanctification. Get rid of all that stuff. God loves you. You have a foul mouth. God loves you anyway. Get rid of the foul mouth. You have an adulterous heart. God loves you anyway. Get rid of the adultery. Right? Come on. Stop that stuff. God loves you just the way, God loves me just the way I am. God loves you. It's not how you are that caused Him to love you or not like you. God loves you because He decided to. You can get rid of all that other stuff. Father God, what is it that, that you want me to get rid of? Now, no, don't raise your hand on this. And husbands and wives, don't talk about it when you go home. But when you married that husband or wife, you married them, you loved them. Were there not, and are there not now still, a few things that you wish were a little bit different? <laughs> Careful how you answer on that. You love your spouse despite the things. I mean, they may not be as neat as you want. They may not be as, as organized. They may not cook the way you want. They may not do all the things that you want. They may not be all the places you want them to be. Right? You've had disappointments in that area, but you still love them. But you still desire for them to change some of those things and to, to bring that around. That's all right. You can do that. God loves you. Now work on changing the things that are against His nature and become like Him. Don't hide behind excuse, well, God loves me just the way I am. By you changing those things, you don't make God love you more. But because I love Him, I want to get rid of those things. That's why you want to adapt even your personality, some of your quirks. You want to try and get rid of some of those things because you love your spouse. I know that drives you nuts when I do that. I'll get rid of that. I'll work on that. Amy, that's, that's off topic. Well, we have reactions. And reactions are good if we keep them good. Reactions can be bad if we go into a bad thing. But we've got to get out of the spot of reacting. There's a whole lot of Christians that just react. Blind Barbaeus reacted to what came in front of him. But there's a better way to go than being a reactor than being one who just reacts. You will still have times when the Spirit of God will present itself and you weren't expecting it. And you have to govern how you react and what you respond in there. But here's the best thing. Get to a place where you expect stuff. In the reaction area, there's no anticipation, but the power of God shows up. In this area, there's much anticipation to the power of God showing up. When we expect something, I'm going into a situation, I'm going into a place, and I am expecting God to show up 
I'm expecting certain power. I'm expecting certain aspects of the Holy Spirit. Something is going on. There is anticipation to this coming on. That's the difference between reaction and expectation. In Luke chapter 8, we have the woman with the issue of blood. Let's just read that again. I know we've read it before. Verse 43. Now a woman having a flow of blood for 12 years who had spent all her livelihood in positions and could not be healed by any came from behind and touched the border of his garment and immediately her flow of blood stopped and Jesus said, Who touched me? When all denied it, Peter and those with him said, Master, the multitudes throng and press you. And you say, Who touched me? But Jesus said, Somebody touched me for I perceived power going out from me. And when the woman saw that she was not hidden, she came trembling and falling down before him. She declared to him in the presence of all the people the reason she had touched him and how she was healed immediately. And he said to her, Daughter, be of good cheer. Your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Now we know from the other places that cover this, I believe it's in Mark's Gospel, that she had said inside herself, I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I will be made whole. She had this expectation and she pursued after it. She got herself in a place. She was looking for Jesus to come. She had that expectation that this was going to, she's looking for Jesus to be coming. She's not waiting for him to happen upon her. She's looking for it. And God had Jesus redirected from where he was to come even closer to where she was. And when she ran across it, she said, all right, I'm going to work my way through the crowd. She saw the multitude of people there. She didn't say, oh, I can't, can't get in there now. She said, no, I'm going to. And she had said in her, in her heart, I know if I just touch the hem of his garment, I will be made whole. I know it. She had that expectation. That's a whole lot different from reaction. In expectation, I'm creating an atmosphere. I'm creating something for God to do. For God's power to work in. In Matthew chapter 4, Verse 23, And Jesus went about all Galilee, teaching in the synagogues, preaching the gospel of the kingdom, and healing all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease among the people. Then His fame went throughout all Syria, and they brought to Him all sick people who were afflicted with various diseases and torments and those who were demon-possessed, epileptics, paralytics. And He healed them. Great multitudes followed Him from Galilee, from Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, beyond the Jordan. Why were they bringing these people here? Were they waiting to react to the power of God when it showed up? No, they came with expectation. They were in the meetings. He's healing sick. He's teaching. He's casting out demons. And they went out and they found all the sick people they could. All the sick people they could find. They went out and they found them. Come on, you're coming with me. Come on, let's go. And they took them out to the meeting. Why did they do that? Because they're not reacting to something. There's expectation here. We have expectation. We expect that if we bring you, this will happen. They have expectation. I'll put this in your outline. Think on this for a little while. If bringing multitudes of sick to Jesus demonstrates expectation, what does not bringing them demonstrate? What do you think? Show me your faith by your works. I'll show you my faith. Or show me, show me your faith without your works. I'll show you my faith by my works. Show me your expectation without your works. How are you going to do that? How are you going to do that? There's, if there's expectation, there's signs of it. How many of you expect God to answer your prayers? Can people tell that by the way that you pray? 
Well, God, coming to you again. I really need this thing done. I'm hoping this time. Is there expectation there? Nope. Expectation says, Father God, I have this need. I thank you that your word provided for it. And you don't have to mess with that again. Smith Wigglesworth once said it. He said, if you pray seven times for any one thing, you prayed six times in unbelief. Now, he's talking about praying for things. Paul said, pray with all prayer. There's other prayers that you come to God multiple times on. But when you're asking God for something, you only need to come one time. The Word of God says that if He hears us, we know that we have the thing that we asked, right? Doesn't it say that? We know that if He hears us, we have the thing that we asked. So why are you praying again? Because it seems He didn't hear me. We pray louder. We pray with greater promises. Greater emphasis. Uh, you don't worry about all that. Now, you could pray something in unbelief, realize it, and go back that to Father God, I prayed in unbelief on that one. I apologize for that. I'm sorry. That was wrong. That's forgiveness. Now I'm coming to you in faith. That's all perfectly fine. I mean, recognize what you, did, what you did that was wrong. Recognize what you did that was unbelief and get back in. I'd ask for it again too. Father, I asked for that in unbelief yesterday. I see that now. Your, your Holy Spirit taught me, showed me what it was that I did. I asked in unbelief. Now I'm coming to you in faith. Straighten it out. Just because you prayed one time, don't get this idea that, well, I should never ask for it again. should never do it for it again. If you realize, oh, I, I, I messed that up there. Or I asked contrary to something in the Word of God. Or I didn't understand this in the Word of God. I'll straighten that out. Father God, I asked you this before, but I see where I was er- I erred in my request. I fixed it. Straightened it up according to the revelation knowledge you gave me. And now I'm going to re- re-ask you this according to the Word of God. God hears us. If He's over there counting your hairs, you certainly listen to the words out of your mouth. So listen. Mark chapter 9, verse 33. And He came to Capernaum. When He was in the house, He asked them, What was it you disputed among yourselves on the road? But they kept silent. For on the road they had disputed among themselves who would be the greatest. And He sat down, called the twelve, and said to them, If any desires to be first, he shall be last of all and servant of all. Then he took a child and set him in the midst of them. And when he had taken him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one of these little children in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now John answered him saying, Teacher, we saw someone who does not follow us casting out demons in your name, and we forbade him because he does not follow us. And Jesus said, Do not forbid him. For no one who works a miracle in my name can soon afterwards speak evil of me. For he who is not against us is on our side. For he who is not against us is on our side. When you look at that verse, I look at that verse and I sometimes think, you know, I would rephrase that. For he who is not against us is on our side. I probably would phrase that he who is on our side isn't against us. But that's not how Jesus did it. He who is not against us is on our side. You know why that stinks the way Jesus said it? 
Because that means Presbyterians and Baptists and Methodists and Wesleyans, even Catholics, Jews for Jesus. That means that they're all on our side. Right? Even those who don't speak in tongues. Even those who don't believe in Jesus as the healer. He who is not against us is on our side. We get battling over some of these doctrinal things. You know, speaking in tongues and whether we should lay hands on the sick to recover and all that sort of stuff. We get into battles over all that sort of stuff. You know why? I just don't battle with them anymore. If you all want to believe that Jesus isn't your healer, go ahead. That's that fellowship. My have fellowship anyway. I'm alright with that. I don't have to get out there in every meeting and as soon as I find out somebody doesn't speak in tongues, correct the error of their ways. I don't mess with that anymore. If I, if they see something in my life that says, hey, how come that, how come you, this works for you this way? Well, cause I pray in tongues. I'll let them know where these advantages are. But if I'm not showing them any kind of a life that has any kind of advantages over what they have, why would they want it? My job to show them a, a lifestyle that's different. It's my job to show them that I have peace where maybe they don't have peace. I have power where they don't have power. I have confidence where they don't have confidence. That's my job. Not over there to bicker and complain and fight and fuss about all this sort of stuff. Then you got other ones out there and they want to tell you why, you know, speaking in tongues is evil of the devil. How people are in the name it, claim it group and all this sort of stuff. I just, I don't mess with them anymore. They want to go out there and do all that. Let them go out there and do all that. He who is not against us is on our side. So don't look at these non-faith churches and non-dancing churches and churches who sing all four hymns, all four verses in the hymn and then sit down. Don't look at them as they didn't have church. Don't pass off to them, oh, you poor excuse for a Christian. Don't do that. Let them worship God. Let them go on. Thank God that they're in the kingdom. He who is not against us is on our side. So that's good. Now see, when I go to church, I want to go to church that I feel uplifted in. I feel motivated by. I'm not going to go sit in a church that has three hymns, all four verses. I, I, some folks get good things out of it and they feel edified and build up and good for them. I'm not going to put them down for it. I'm not going to say, oh, you poor sinner. You poor weak Christian. Not going to mess with that. I just always spend a little time on that. He was not against us. Is on our side. He was just talking about receiving who? The little children. Receive the little children. And then this guy's over here, John, he gets up there and says, hey, we saw somebody. He wasn't a little kid. He was a big kid. And he was doing it wrong. I told him to stop. Jesus said, no, don't do it. Don't go out there and tell him to stop. They aren't against us. They're on our side. For whoever gives you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ, surely I say to you, he will by no means lose his reward. You got folks out there that are ministering to God? Give them a cup of water. 
So what if you don't like the way they order their worship service? Are they on our side? Are they not against us? Go out there, change your attitude towards them. Just love on them, receive them. Now, in the same token, if you get a minister up there, a guy like a Benny Hinn or an A.A. Allen or one of these guys who operated, I mean, A.A. Allen operated in a very strong anointing, very strong healing anointing. But personality-wise, you may not have liked some things about him. And he had some hang-ups. He had some sins that were in his life. He had some problems that, that took him down. William Brennan, same kind of thing. Had some issues, some things going on. But you know what? God still worked through him. Go back to this verse. He who is not against us is on our side. I've got ministers. I've got folks who went to Ramah whose personality rubs me the wrong way. It's my job to make sure I receive from that anointing. It's my job. I better make sure that I receive from that anointing. I don't shut them down. Because he is not against us. Is on our side. So if you get so-and-so and they got a meeting going on, how many have ever been in this? So-and-so's got a meeting and you go to so-and-so's meeting and after the meeting, you know, there's 7,000 people in attendance at this meeting. And then so-and-so, after they get done ministering, they call for the sick. They're going to lay hands on the sick. And out of the 7,000, 4,000 people go down to the front. That's a lot of people. If you lay hands on them, one per second, that's 4,000 seconds. And you can't do one per second. So, brother, sister, so-and-so calls up four, five, ten, fifteen, twenty others to come on down and to help lay hands on these 4,000 people. And you go on down hoping for brother, sister, so-and-so to lay their hands on you. And brother, sister, so-and-so was on the other side of the church when you came up to the front. And someone you didn't even know is up there and, the, and you're going up to them. What do you want to do? Have a seat in the pew nearest you so that you can get up when brother or sister so-and-so comes near? <laughs> no. He who is not against us is on our side. Don't draw off the individual. Draw off the gift. Father God, I thank you. I heard things in the Word tonight through that teaching anointing that was on brother or sister so-and-so. I thank you for the things that you showed me that. And I understand I can draw from this. I'm here to draw off that gift and I really don't care who lays hands on me. It don't matter. I'm going to receive. And you get out there and you, you receive that thing. You can do it no matter who does. Doug Jones used to always talk about this. People came on down to Rama for the healing school. And when he was teaching it, they come on down, they see him. They're expecting Brother Hagen. They flew all the way down there, got a hotel, stayed down there for a week or two, made plans to stay down there for a week or two. And they get into the first meeting and here's someone they never heard of. Doug who? And uh, sometimes he would talk about how they would come on up to the front and they'd, say, uh, and they'd let him lay hands on them and afterwards, after they, he laid hands on them and prayed, they'd ask him, is Brother Hagen going to be in a meeting tomorrow? He said he was tempted to say, nope, he's not coming. <laughs> Ever. <laughs> but, but no, you, you can't draw off of an individual. You've got to draw off the gift. You've got to draw off the gift that God put in there. Because it's God who's working it. It's not that individual. Don't shut it down. These guys wanted to shut these people down. John wanted to go out there and say, hey, they weren't part of the 12. They weren't part of the 70. 
They got no business being out there. Jesus says, no, you let them go on. Don't shut it down. Because there's people out there who don't, who just want to shut down what they don't understand, what they don't like. You don't let that go on. Don't let people shut it down. With Bartimaeus, they told him to be quiet. What are they trying to do? Shut him down. They didn't like the noise he was making. They didn't like the interruption. They ridiculed Jesus at Jerry's house. Why? They didn't understand it. What do you mean she's sleeping? She's not sleeping. She's dead. They prevented Jesus from doing any mighty work at Capernaum. Why? Because they didn't understand. They told Peter and John not to preach in His name. Because they didn't understand. They didn't like what was going on. They followed after Paul to stir up crowds with unbelief. Why? Because they didn't understand. They didn't like what was going on. Quit. Quit that if you started it. Don't get involved with it if you do. There's people out there make their living out of shutting down this minister, telling folks about this one, putting this one down. I'll tell you what, folks. There's a whole lot of ministers out there and they all minister differently. Billy Graham is probably one of the greatest we had in, in our, our time just getting people saved. You know, he didn't spend much time getting them healed. But you don't write it off for that. He got them saved. Glory to God for that. There's a whole lot of folks that went on through in past history. Had great meetings. Got people born again. Maybe they didn't get it all done. That's alright. They got people born again. You know they had that same problem back in the book of Acts? They had people to go around and just get people born again. Philip was one of those. Went around, got people born again. And then Peter and John, they came on in afterwards. And they, did you, what about the Holy Spirit? We didn't hear about that. And they came in, they talked about the rest of it. We've got to stop clashing with each other. We've got to stop saying, I can receive from that one, not from this one. I don't like that one. I like Brother Hagan, I don't like Brother Copeland. I like Brother Copeland, I don't like Brother Price. I like Brother Price, I don't like Brother Creflo. Well, he's, he just always talks about this. Well, his personality is this way. Well, I don't like the suits that he wears. I don't like Creflo's suits, I'm afraid. But I love the brother. No, they look good on him. I just wouldn't wear them. I'd, they probably wouldn't look good on me at all. <laughs> but they look good on him, and that's fine. I love, I love the brother. I don't have to like his suits. I don't have to like his He could show up in white shoes with black tassels or brown tassels or red tassels or blue bottoms or whatever it is that you wanted to do on that. Who cares? Your pastor here shows up in cowboy boots. Because I like them. If you don't, tough. You don't have to wear them. You can wear anything you want to. I don't complain about you when you come in in pink shoes and purple shoes. Never told you one time I liked them or didn't like them. You want to wear pink shoes, purple shoes, orange shoes, polka dot shoes? I don't care. Just show up. Come on out. Any kind of shoes you want to. We have folks show up in blue jeans, people wear, wearing suits, ties and dresses. Just show up. Stop getting hung up on all those kind of things. Don't mess with it. Brother Doug Jones is coming out. Brother Doug Jones teaches like I do. He's He's kind of calm. Kind of kind of quiet. He's not like Brother Philip. I'll bring out Brother Doug and I'll bring out Brother Philip. They're different. 
It's all right. It's good for to be different. Brother Philip doesn't teach like Brother Doug does. That's all right. Brother Philip doesn't preach like Brother Noel does. That's okay too. We enjoy the guest speakers when they come on out. We enjoy that they had the things they had to offer. We enjoy that the anointing is there. I don't have to enjoy everything that they do. They don't have to be perfect. But you draw off of that. And that's where your responsibility comes in. If you want to get healed, how many of you have been believing God for something? We're talking about the anointing. We're talking about getting rid of those things that have pestered you for years. A yoke that has been hung on. If you want that gone, get into the anointing and don't you bother yourself with who that anointing is on. Don't be concerned about it. Brother Creflo's out there and the Spirit of God is present to shake off that thing that you got. Get on down there and get whoever Brother Creflo puts out there. Because Brother Creflo won't put somebody out there to pray over you unless he felt like they get it done. Have that confidence in that. whole reason he had that meeting, had that teaching, was just so you could get that thing going. Trust him. Brother Price, do the same thing. Enjoy what God has. God has put many gifts in the body of Christ. And we can enjoy each of them. Know what their purpose is. Know what their gifts and callings are for. But if you've been out there, how many of you have you got something? Been, uh, uh, we'll call it a chronic condition. Been around for a long time. And you stood and you believed God. Even got into some of the teaching we're doing here. And you had the power of God. And you're going around. The power of God is in me. power of God is in me to, to heal that thing. Get that thing taken care of. And let's just say Brother Doug comes on down here in December. And he has a meeting. He ran healing school for a while. Then the power of God is present to heal. And he calls out. And your chronic condition. He calls out whatever it is that you got. And he says, there's people here with this chronic, with this condition. And you say, oh, I have that. And then instantly, a voice comes up on the inside. He says, yeah, but you're already standing believing that the power of God's in you. You don't need to go up. Don't listen to that. Just like with the woman with the issue of blood. She said, I know, I know. This will, I know it will work this way. And her faith brought Jesus along her path. When that gift is there, and that is called out, you can say, Father God, I thank you. I've been standing and believing. I know your powers are working me. I'm going up to receive from the gift that you put in. And you can do that without being in doubt and unbelief. Going up there and get that thing. Thank you, Father God. That's, that's mine. Because there's, there's a general anointing, but there's other guns as well. And there's special anointings. I call them the big guns. You know, sometimes when you've got a really tough door and you're shooting at it with bullets and it's not going anywhere, it's time to get a bazooka. Or get one of those neat little toys they got up there in the military. They got one of those grenade shooters. I saw one of those they called a six-pack. It's got six of them in there. And bang, 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 six of them. They can just rattle off. And every grenade does something different. They got a whole mess of different grenades that they can accomplish different things with. Well, get up there and get that thing taken care of. I mean, if you're over there, say that you got a locked door. Your shed got locked. I mean, you got a shed, put a lock on it, keep some of the stuff in there, keep people from going out. And that shed got locked and you lost the key. Little Junior took the key and don't know where it went to, no more key. And so you get out there and you got to pick because you know how to pick locks and you're picking at that lock and it's not going anywhere. 
What are you going to do? I'm going to get a bigger gun. I'm going to get myself a, a pair of cutters or a big old sledgehammer. We're going to take that thing off. God wants you healed. God does not want you sick. You had to get convinced the first off. God wants you healed. And God will bring along special gifts and let certain things, certain gifts manifest because He needs to get that over you. Get you past that. How many of you like to fix computers? How many hate fixing computers? I fix computers on an occasional basis and have to do some things and sometimes I'll fix the computer for somebody and, uh, and make it do whatever it wasn't doing and they'll ask me this question. Always come back and they ask me this question. What did you do to fix it? Never get that? Or, what was wrong with it? I always love that one. What was wrong with it? Now, first off, when I fix computers, I fix computers with one purpose. The purpose is, I want to get rid of the problem. I really could care less what the cause was. How many of you care why it is that your headaches come? How many of you just care that they go? I just, I don't care why they're here. As long as they go, glory to God. I mean, sometimes you fix a computer. And I don't know, I don't go and try and trace the problem. Sometimes if a program's messing up, I'll just take the whole program off and put it back on again. And they'll say, what, did, what was wrong with it? I have no idea. Didn't try and figure out what was wrong with it. I just pulled it all off, put it all back on again, now it's working. Because <laughs> all we really care about is the end result. Don't, me- don't mess with all that stuff. God wants you healed. You could sit there and say, well, Father God, how come I couldn't get on the general anointing? How come I was confessing, I was standing? How come I couldn't get there? Who cares? Did you get it? There might be some hindrance there. There might be some block there that's keeping that from from uh, manifesting for you. And God says, well, I, I, you're not at a spot yet where I can give you the revelation to tell you so that you can understand how to get past that. But that's all right. I got a gift over here and that gift will blow that thing right out of the water. And He brings that gift on over. Just draw off that gift. Don't sit there and mess with trying to figure it all out. Some things you just don't need to to worry about. How many of you get your car fixed by a good good mechanic and ask him to tell you all he did? No? Is it fixed? Will it work? (laughs) All right. That's all I need to know. There are gifts that are out there. Draw off of them. When you're standing and believing and all of a sudden here comes a gift, have a good reaction to it. And that gift says, Spirit of God has said, so and such and such a thing is here. And He wants you healed. Come on up. Just go on up. Don't, don't sit there and try and debate about it, figure it all out. Just say, Father God, I thank you. I've been standing and believing for this. Whatever it is has been the hindrance that keeps this. I know it's not your desire. I know it's not your will. I know you don't want that to go on. Get out there and get it. I put in your outline, right reactions are better than wrong ones. But it's better to be one who expects than merely one who reacts. Right reactions are better than wrong ones, but it's better to be one who expects than merely one who reacts. Come in the church, go to the special meeting, open up the Word of God, get involved in prayer, expecting. That's the way to go. Expectors call for the power of God. Reactors respond to the power of God. But expectors call for the power of God. The woman with the issue of blood, she was an expector. She called for the power of God. Be an expector. It's okay to react. 
When you see it coming around, it's okay to react, but be an expector. Go in for that. Get past personalities, shortcomings, and what appeals to your flesh. All the nice lights and all the nice little things they have around in the meeting. Don't worry about all that. Get past the personalities and shortcomings and the appeals to your flesh and recognize and draw off the anointing. Recognize and draw off the anointing. Know how to recognize it. Father God, I recognize that your anointing is here. I recognize that you've put this gift on this person. And I'm going to draw off that gift. I may not like that person. Some of the things they do. Their personality may not mesh with mine. We may not be best friends or best pals. But I sure can draw off of whatever that person has. Draw off of it. Get healed. Pull that thing into your life. Father God, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You, Father, for good things that are ahead for us. That You desire healing, blessings to follow into our life. And Father, we desire to have those things. Because if we walk about in this life healed, we're better able to be ministers and more effective ministers for You. We want to demonstrate the power of God. We want to demonstrate humbleness. and Receive all that are in Your name. For whoever is not against us is for us. Help us to see other people in the body of Christ as being for us and not against us. And help us not to shut down the power of God that's working in their life that can come to us. We thank You for it. Glory be to Your name. Thank You, Lord Jesus.